this is important, I think, in general for mental health and authenticity, is never compare your behind the scenes, usually your junk and what's going on, with other people's highlights, right? I actually yeah. heard a pastor mm-hmm. talk about that in, in a mm-hmm. series he did, and I took that away from it. Because what we do is we look online and we see somebody's successful, or we see somebody's good at sales, or we see somebody's good at business, and we see the highlights. We don't see all the stuff they're dealing with, but we know what we're dealing with. And so we're like, well, I can't do that. I, I can't sell. I can't be effective. I can't do a podcast. I can't do whatever because they're amazing and I'm full of flaws. It's like, no, no, every, everyone's got something. Welcome to Captivate the Room with your host, internationally known voice expert, Tracy Goodwin, an award-winning speaker who has taught hundreds around the globe to make a big impact with their voice. This podcast is for anyone who wants to step onto a bigger stage, make a bigger impact, and have a voice that makes people listen. Presentation matters, and the voice is the missing link. Join in and you'll see why. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Goodwin, and I'm so glad to have you with me today as always. Thank you so much for your shares and your downloads and for being a subscriber. I love being on this voice journey with you, and I've got an incredible episode for you today first guest interview of the new year. And I just had the opportunity to be on Jason's podcast and had such a great conversation with him that I said, I have got to have you on my show, really going to talk about authentic selling and persuasion. And Jason's a master of this. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, but very quickly, let me give you a Fast reminder, Unleash Your Voice, three-part live training series. We start January 28th. I want to teach you how to unearth the stories that are creating problems, unmask the blocks and barriers that are keeping us from connecting, and unleash your greatest asset, your real voice. Just go over to CaptivateTheRoom.com forward slash the number three free. And I hope to see you in that live training. Now, my guest today, Jason Cutter, really has a unique story. And I know he's going to bring a lot of stuff to the table that you are going to relate to in big ways. Now, you might think, well, I don't, I'm not really in sales. Everybody's in sales. Okay. And he is dropping the nuggets today. Let me give you a little background here. Despite having a bachelor's degree in marine biology, working in tech support and government contracting roles and not getting his first official sales job until age 27, Jason Cutter founded the Cutter Consulting Group with a focus on coaching and training individuals and being hired by companies around the world who want to dramatically improve their selling effectiveness. He is the author of Selling with Authentic Persuasion, Transform from order taker to quota breaker, and the host of the Authentic Persuasion Show, aka also known as the Sales Experience Podcast. I know you are going to love hearing from Jason all about selling, being authentic, persuasion. Selling is one of the big areas where people can tank vocally. Selling and tell me about yourself. That can tank people. But you're going to love what he says. Our work is so in alignment. So let's head on over to the show. 
Jason, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you with us today. Thanks for having me, Tracy. I, I'm really excited to hear you talk about the work that you do. And, I, you know, I personally believe that everybody's always selling, that we're always in a sales transaction. And I'm certainly going to be curious to hear what you say. But before we get into selling, I would love it if you would tell the listeners what you do and how you got there. Uh, sure. I think that's a great way to go. And, and and I am excited to be on here as well and share this, especially with your audience who, uh, you know, if they're, they're fans of you, if they may know I'm a fan of you, I had you on my podcast. So this is fun. Um, I am a consultant. So I have my company Cutter Consulting Group and I focus on sales teams and sales optimization. So I help organizations from small to medium-sized, whether they're telephone sales, which is where I spend most of my time in my career, to face-to-face uh, -face sales. It could be business-to-business, business-to-consumer. You know, Back to what you said, everything in life is sales. I mean, I spent a lot of time helping people get out of debt and working with companies that did that. And then now as a consultant, I have clients all over the map. Each time they're like, well, what do you know about selling X, Y, and Z? It's like, well, sales is sales. So I promise I know what I know, I know how to do it and I know what you might be missing. So I do a lot of coaching, training, systems, processes, uh, dirty word in sales is scripts, but I believe in scripting and, and having a system and a process for sales. So that's important for me. Um, I've been doing this for two years as a con uh, consultant with my own company, been in sales for the better part of 18 years total. And the punchline to this, which is really funny, which I know that you want to talk about, is that this is not something I wanted to get into. I didn't want to be in sales. Uh, most people I found don't make it a goal to be in sales. They don't think that's the path. Some people do, but most people don't. Um, I was a shy, awkward, uh, only child who was bullied for most of elementary school for many reasons. Um, and the son of a two analytical parents, my mom was a banker before she retired. My dad was an engineer before he retired and they moved their way up in organizations. Um, but I essentially grew up in an anti-sales household. My mom literally hated salespeople and people who she felt were selling and manipulating and cheating and lying. Like she would tear them apart and mama bear mode. So I grew up in an anti-sales household such that when I went to college, my bachelor's degree is in marine biology. And I spent years tagging sharks uh, before winding path into a sales career at 27. Wow. Okay. There's so much there. There's so much there. I don't even know where to start. Okay. First of all, I have to start with, that must've been really cool tagging sharks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I count, I count it as a win. You know, I still have 10 fingers and 10 toes. Yeah. Um, you know, I did pretty well, but yeah, I spent, it was in California around Santa Cruz, Monterey Bay area. Uh, everything from two foot sharks that I did for my senior research project to 18 foot great white sharks uh, that we were tagging and a lot of stuff in between. The, a couple of things you said, and, I, and a couple of things I want to touch on for sure. It, one is about being an introvert, but something that made me, th that, that I thought about when you were talking about how your mother was anti-sales and, and eventually here in a minute, I want to talk about why people hate sales and hate selling, but it made me think of fear. And yeah. I wonder if it was like tagging sharks. Okay. To me, that sounds, you've got to face that fear. <laughs> I wonder if that was like some kind of segue into the work that you do today to not be afraid. I mean, were you ever afraid? Um, no, I think I was no. young and I'm going to say dumb and feeling invincible. I still mm. think that I'm 
young and invincible and probably dumb uh, in, in some of the stuff I do. But um, no, I, you know, I was honestly never afraid. I mean, I knew which end of the shark was the business end and which end to stay away from. But literally there was times where we were catching four or five foot sharks out of the water by hand by reaching over the boat and grabbing them by hand without a net to pull them in the boat and then holding them in the boat while we tagged them and, and measured them. So uh, no, I, I don't think I had any any fear of that. I mean, here's the thing, and this is the part I joke about. People say, which do you like? Sales, dealing with salespeople or dealing with sharks. Sharks are one directional. They have one thought on their mind. They go one direction. They go one speed. Their job is eating and survival. And it's very predictable. It's very easy, actually. Mm. They're not going to back up. They're not going to you know, back up and do something crazy. They got one mode. Um, people, on the other hand, eh, they're kind of all over the place. Yeah, for sure. Very unpredictable, <laughs> right? Yeah. Very unpredictable. So, all right. So before I get into really into fear of sales and your thoughts on sales and all of that, I want to touch on this introversion thing a minute because so many of my listeners feel limited by their introversion and maybe they, maybe they have a fear of sales or anything simply because they've bought into a story well, I'm an introvert. I don't do that. So can you talk to have wherever you want to go with it, but being an introvert and, and what you do now? Yeah. So I think that's a great point. And, and I talk about this a lot because I see this a lot for people who either don't want to go into sales or they got into sales and they don't want to do what they think it takes to be in sales or they don't think they're a good fit. And then they default, which I know we'll talk about later, which is the label I use, which is order taker. Uh, and not in a derogatory negative way, it's just a lot of people end up in sales. They don't know what to do. They're afraid of what they have to do. And so they're just taking orders. They're not persuading. They're not selling. They're just doing that. Um, and I see that a lot where people feel because they see movies, TV, classic stories, interactions with people who are selling, and they think, okay, it takes charisma, outgoing, extrovert, gregarious, storytelling, life of the party, uh, center of the, you know, energetic universe, like if people are attracting in there, you know, slick talk, fast talker, you know, all of these things, the schmoozer, that's what they think it takes to be successful in sales. And so when you see that and you go, okay, that's what it takes. Like usually what happens is they've been a customer at some point and they bought something and they bought something, whether they liked it or not afterwards, they bought into that charismatic extrovert storytelling, schmoozing over the top sales personality and it worked. They bought it and they think that's what it takes. Now, the downside is, is usually what happens is you have that experience at some point in your life before you get into any kind of career in sales. You buy something as a result of interacting with that kind of person who may or may not have manipulated, lied to you, controlled you, NLP'd you, all kinds mm -hmm. of things. You bought it, you regretted it, you hated it, you were embarrassed, people picked on you, people told you you made a mistake, so you vowed never to do that to other people, and so then you really shy away from it. I love that. That's That reminds me of when I talk about confidence versus arrogance. People tend to not want to step into confidence because they believe it's arrogance because they've known somebody that was arrogant. Mm -hmm. Same kind of thing, right? Yeah, exactly. And and then what I would say too is, here's the biggest thing I learned about myself is I am not an introvert. I am definitely not an extrovert. Mm -hmm. And I think the term that fits most people is ambivert, which I know that you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of people who think if I'm not standing on a table at the center of attention at a party, I must be an introvert. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And then if you look at the two labels, it's like, when I go to a party, when I get home, I feel drained. Okay. So maybe you're not a pure extrovert that feeds off that and needs it. But I know, cause I've researched and I've met some people, if to be a pure introvert, it's totally the other end of the spectrum and you really can't handle much interaction. So most people really aren't pure introverts, but they're in the middle. They're situational, right? Like people would never guess me. I was a shy, awkward, only child because when they meet you, they're like, dude, you seem so outgoing. You seem such an extrovert. I'm like, no, I do this because it's fun and it, 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 it excites me. I don't like going to parties. I don't like being in crowds. I don't get energized. I get drains me like crazy. Um, so it's very situational. And so I think that's the key is to, to see, okay, so where do I have that energy? Where do I not? And then not thinking like you have to be a certain way to be effective in sales or anything. I love that, that we, we, we lock ourselves in these boxes. Well, I must be, have to do it this way or this way or whatever way. But you know, there's two things that I can work with somebody vocally and they can be nailing it. And if I bring up, tell me about yourself or sell me something, everything changes. There is so much fear around the word sales. What, what is that about? Well, and again, so I think, you know, there's two things. Uh, and I mentioned kind of both of them in, in passing. One is that everyone has had an experience, mm, either personally okay. or because of somebody else, where you bought something or were sold something, right? If we're going to use that language, you were sold something and you regretted it and it was mm-hmm. miserable and you hated it and you felt icky. You felt dirty after mm-hmm. you bought it. Like when the endorphins wore off, you're like, wait, they got me. That sucked. Mm. Now I'm embarrassed. I don't even want to tell my friends and family what I bought. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's even on the passive side. I mean, I tell this story to a lot of people as well, cause they can relate is, you know, that buyer remorse, buyer's remorse kicks in where you might be excited. You bought a car. You think you got a good deal on that car. You thought they did a good job helping you. Then usually within a week, you tell somebody about your new car and they say, how much did you pay? And you say how much you paid. And they say, well, you got ripped off. You paid too much. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have bought this warranty. You shouldn't have done this. And that's their judgment. And now all of a sudden you doubt it. And now all of a sudden you regret it. And now all of a sudden you dislike the sales process because of how it went and how you felt afterwards. So that's one side. The other side is what people see in movies and TV mm-hmm. okay. shows. I mean, there's there's very few movies that make salespeople look really good in what they do as mm-hmm. a really good career. You know, Boiler Room, Wolf of Wall Street, Mad Men. You know, you walk away from that going, these are really good people trying to change the world and doing great things for people. I want to do that for a career, right? Yeah, right. Well, so how does rejection play into it? Is that something that people fear that I I can't handle the no? I don't want to be told no. I take that personal. Where does that play into the work? I think that's a hundred percent, you know, let's say one of the, oh, it's a hundred percent, one of the biggest challenges. Um, it, it's tough because it's right up there for most people. Either they don't want to get into sales because of they know they know of the rejection. They also know what it's like to be a customer, to go in and reject somebody and tell them no. And they don't want to be on the other end of that, or they don't want to have to push people and feel like that's the case. Here's the, here's the truth and the reality of it is that to be successful in sales, if you're just lights out, amazingly effective at selling and persuading in the right way and moving people forward, you're still going to lose more times than you win, right? Yeah. You're still, if you're amazing, depending on what your metrics are, you may close at 30%, 40%. 
right? Which means you're failing to close 60 to 70% if you're amazing, wow. right? Now, if you're getting referrals and you, you know, it's, it's people are being served up to you, that's one thing. But some industries I work with, like it's a 10% close. So they're going to talk to 100 people and they're going to close 10 sales and they're going to get told and fail 90 times. Wow. And most people can't handle that. And here's why. Here's, here's what all my research and, and, and studies and, and kind of observations at our base level, we humans are a tribal society. We survived as a tribe, whatever you want to believe, thousands, tens of thousands of years ago as a group. Uh, you did not survive out in the wilds by yourself against nature and against well, the, the, the forces of nature. And so we needed each other. And so that's ingrained in us. As much as people like to be introverted or isolated, or they say, I don't need people, we're still a tribal society. Very few people will go off into the mountains and live alone and never talk to anybody ever again. And that's okay. Most people need this. So there's a weird part of us, which is why we don't like public speaking, in my opinion, is that that rejection, that embarrassment, that being made fun of feels the same way as it did 10,000 years ago when you got kicked out of the tribe for making a mistake or screwing something up. And so getting that rejection feels the same. Well, like if this person said, no, maybe they're going to kick me out of the tribe of humans. And now I'm going to be banished. I'm going to go die. Right? So it's really sense of belonging. Yeah. Which it is, is. It's tough. It's tough to be told no, right? And be rejected. Right. And then um, you layer on top of all this, you know, deep historical primal stuff in our brain. Then you go into early childhood, uh, teenage mm -hmm. years, wanting to date, getting rejected, told no, all of these things, like touching the hot stove once, mm -hmm. then you have this reflex and this PTSD around it. Okay, now I'm going to throw you into sales. Uh, you've got to talk to hundreds of people a day and be told no a bunch. Uh, yeah. And that just that's just so painful for people to want to endure. Yeah, no, I get it. I, I hear it from the voice perspective. Okay. So, so I want to circle back. I, I want to talk about your authentic, but I, I do want to circle back and I am going to ask you what make you said you were talking about if they are amazing. I want to hear before we hang up today, what makes a person amazing, but let's jump over to, you've got a book. Mm -hmm. the, the what's the full title of the book? So it's selling with authentic persuasion, transform from order taker to quota breaker. Right. Okay. So, and, and podcast is the authentic persuasion show. That's yep. yeah. Okay. So authentic, what does that mean? So for me, it's many layers. The, the, the most important part of it is the self-awareness. So who you are, who, what makes you tick? What are your strengths? What are you good at? What do you bring to the table in your you know, talents, skills, abilities, experiences, um, positive experience and negative experiences? And then how do you bring that with you into that relationship, into that conversation, right? It could be seen as something like transparency, which I think is another layer to it, but it's being authentic. When we're talking about sales specifically, one of the challenges I see is that a lot of people who end up in sales, fall into sales, usually don't get a lot of training. If they do, it's by somebody oh, yeah. who trains them the way they sell. And then somebody thinks they have to be that other person to be effective. They think they have to be that Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. They think they have to be, okay, I've got to be able to sell this pen. And if I do that, then I can be successful in sales. Well, if that's not you, then it's, it's never going to work long-term. It could work in bursts. You can be an actor and pretend, you know, like you're in a play for bursts, um, but not long-term. So authenticity is really about being authentic, 
what do you want? Why do you want it? And then who are you? And then bringing that into your sales career and basically everything. I love that you brought up Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. My brother-in-law will never forgive me for recommending that movie to him. Really? <laughs> yes. Yes. He didn't get it. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't get it. He didn't get it. So, okay. So let's stay on this a second. Being on, being something that we're not. That reminded me of a question that you asked me when I was on your show. And I loved that you asked me this. And I'm going to ask you the same question because I want my people to hear your answer. We talked about, do I match what the other person's doing? Mm -hmm. And that to me is in the same family of, let me be like this guy. Let me be like this guy because he's good. So let me be like him, not be me because I'm not good. It's kind of the same thing, this matching voices. Talk talk to us about that. Well, what we specifically asked is I, I was asking you if, you know, if you recommend matching tone, mm-hmm. the mirroring is like the mm-hmm. common sales trainer kind of advice, just mirror what the other person's doing, what they're saying, their tone, their pace, all of these things. Um, you know, for me, I think you always just want to be authentic. I think you want to speak how you speak, right? I yeah. I watch people and have watched people forever. I see like a Tony Robbins. I'm like, I'm never going to be that guy. And I used to think like, I'm not even going to try because I can't be like that. And that's not me. Then I realized, well, who cares? Like I'm me. That's why I do my podcast the way I do it. That's why yeah. I know people would probably like me to talk slower, but I just don't. Um, and it either works or it doesn't. And I think that's part of it, right? Is being who you are. And then when we're talking about mirroring or, or pacing or like copying how someone else is doing in the conversation, I think the key is you want to be yourself. You want to make sure you're bringing the right version of you for the situation that's authentic, but is appropriate. So for example, I used to help people with debt, right? Mm -hmm. I love helping people who are in debt. I used to help people in foreclosure avoid losing their home, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, it meant a lot. For me, being successful was huge for them, right? It meant the sheriff wasn't coming on Friday at 10 a.m. to kick them out of their house, right? And so it is exciting for me but I can't be excited. I can't be like, Hey, Tracy, I'm going to help you save your house. This is going to be great. I'm so excited. Let's do this. Cause it's going to be like, okay, what's the catch? Why is this guy so excited? So I have to be authentic. I have to be empathetic. I have to care, but I also have to be careful not to like trigger these alarms. And I also don't want to mirror somebody who's depressed and down and negative because I'm the one in control. So I always want to be myself, maybe at a higher level because I'm the one driving this bus. Mm, being in control of the conversation so you get the outcome you want. Yep. That's, I just heard a a very well-known podcaster the other day. I was watching a training she was doing and she said when she first started doing her podcast, she was emulating Amy Porterfield and she would do Amy Porterfield's voice, exactly like (laughs) what you're talking about. And, And one day she was like, why am I doing this? Why am I being Amy Porterfield? Why why can't I just be me? Yeah. Right? And why why can't people just be themselves? Is it yeah. they they don't think that's good enough or that's scary or what's behind that? Both of them, right? That it's not good enough, right? The imposter syndrome which is if mm. they're successful and they're doing this, if I'm me, it's not going to work because who am I? Right? Like before I started my podcast, like why does the world need another sales podcast. There's like 600,000 sales podcasts or whatever the number is. Like, why do they need another one? Why is anyone going to listen to me? What the heck do I know? When I was writing my book, 
why, who, who, who cares what I think? There's so many sales, so many grades out there who have written sales books. Like, what's the point? Um, and so you've got to overcome that. And then of course there's the rejection side, right? If I show who I really am and people don't like it, like when I post something on social media and it gets three likes, but I was, you know, somebody else got like a thousand likes. Now I'm depressed. Now I'm dealing mm. with that because it's essentially rejecting who I am because it's not good enough. The challenge you always got to remember where people are at versus where you're at, how they got there, how long they've been at that game, right? I'd love to have Amy Porterfield success. She's been playing that game for a long time. Mm-hmm. I'm also not going to copy her. Um, so you, you've got to put that, you know, put that focus on there. And then the other thing, totally sidebar, but this is important, I think, in general for mental health and authenticity is never compare your behind the scenes, usually your junk and what's going on with other people's highlights, right? I actually heard a pastor mm-hmm. talk about that in, in a mm-hmm. series he did. And I took that away from it because what we do is we look online and we see somebody's successful or we see somebody's good at sales. We see somebody's good at business and we see the highlights. We don't see all the stuff they're dealing with, but we know what we're dealing with. And so we're like, well, I can't do that. Right? I can't sell. I can't be effective. I can't do a podcast. I can't do whatever because they're amazing and I'm full of flaws. It's like, no, no, every, everyone's got something. Oh, I love that you said <laughs> that because that is like the core of so much of this work. I, I've I've heard that before that don't compare the highlights to, but you know, I heard something else that I think you'll love. It was something like, don't compare, and this is what you're saying about Amy Porterfield, don't compare their 10th year to your first. No. Because, no. I mean, shoot, we all learn over time and get better and do it different and create what we do, right? Yeah, and, and I have to watch that all the time because I still do that. And I'm like, oh, and then I look at, okay, how long have they been doing this? Okay, 24 years. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm in year two, right, of my consulting yeah. business. Or year 18 of sales. It's like, okay, yeah. give me another you know, give me another 17 years. We'll see totally. That, right. And, and a lot of that goes in, obviously we're, you know, want to talk about sales and authentic persuasion, but that does go into the authenticity pieces. You've got to know where you are, you know, know who you are and bring your experiences with you. That's where I'm a big one where you're like, when I persuade, when I sell, when I'm doing things like that, it's around what I know and I'm familiar with, I'm willing to learn but I generally stick with what I know. There's some things I haven't experienced before. So I haven't experienced you know, alcohol addiction or drug addiction or things like that in my own personal life. And so I can't coach and counsel people with that, Mm -hmm. right? But I've been in debt. I have screwed up royally and been in some really financial problems many times in my life. I can help some people out of debt, right? I can help some people with business. I can help some people with their sales teams. And I, you know, I'm not hiding my bad experiences using those. Yeah. Well, I think that comparison game that social media aids and abets in many, many ways is such a slippery slope. I mean, I have the same thing. I'll have people go, I want to talk like you. And I'm like, I've been doing this longer than you've been alive, man. You know, you, you better hope I can do it right. Right. After having done all done it for so many years. Uh, So we, we do, we just have to not stay in your own lane, bring the tentacles in right? Do the best version of you is what I hear you saying is authentic. The best. And when we're talking about sales, especially when somebody works in an organization, they're doing sales in, in and around other people, like when that's, you know, possible and feasible, Mm. or if you're on a team, you're listening. One of the pitfalls that happens is a lot of people go, oh, well, John over there is really successful and keeps closing sales. 
and they're doing it a certain way. So let me copy them, right? This goes yeah. back to the imitating, right? Or I can never sell that well because when I hear them, they're amazing. And so what happens is they just either try to copy or just kill all of their chances mm. by doubting it instead of being like, well, they're good in their way. And that works for some of the people they're dealing with. But what can I do and who am I and what's authentic for me and my conversations and what will people appreciate and why do I want to help them? Um, and so at the micro level, it, this is an important lesson because I see that in, in sales teams all the time. We're like, I can, I can never sell as well as that person because I'm not that extrovert. I'm not that mm, storyteller. Mm. I don't have those things, right? I don't know all the facts. I don't know quotes. I can't you know, just pull up random facts all the time. I don't care about sports. Okay, you can still crush it because I don't care about sports. I don't know quotes. I'm not great at stats all the time. I can sell pretty well despite all. Yeah, that. yeah. So, what is authentic persuasion then? So, for me, it's combining those two things. So, one, the authenticity piece, which we talked uh-huh. about, and then persuasion. Which, if we look at the definition, there's manipulation, which most people uh-huh. are familiar with, which clearly in the definition has a negative outcome, right? It's about me getting you to do something for my benefit. I don't care what happens to you. Persuasion, if you look at the definition, actually says the same thing. It's, I'm going to get you to do something. You could benefit or not. It's very vague. There's no clear thing, right? So some people think persuasion is the same as manipulation. They have a Mm -hmm. negative feeling about it, which isn't, it isn't completely unfair because it's not a clear defined word. I always focus on positive persuasion. But for me, when we combine those, especially with the goal of helping someone who's selling and operating like an order taker or afraid of getting in sales because of what they think they have to do to win, persuasion is about having a process where you're moving the right qualified people forward and you're the one that's leading that process You're in control of the process. You're not controlling them, but you're in control of the process and you're treating that whole thing like, you know, where you want to get that person to the end goal to help them get to a better place, right? Where it's solving a problem, helping them accomplish a goal. When you know they have problem X and you have solution X, then your job is to move them forward. And then here's the real kicker. Here's the biggest shift for a lot of people who either afraid of sales or operating as order takers is... When you look at the world like that, they have problem X, you have solution X. If you don't persuade them, if you don't get them to buy from you, buy your product, hire you for your service, whatever it is, if you don't do that, you've actually failed them. You've let them down and you've failed at your duty and responsibility to help them. Right. And that told that's a huge shift because a lot of times people think sales is something you do to somebody. Instead, sales is something you do for and with somebody where imagine if you had a sick friend and you want to take care of them, like you're going to do everything you can to get them better or to get them help or get them whatever. If you just like, hey, whatever, good luck with it. Never mind. You've let them down and you wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. So I hear people, I've heard people say selling is service. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of what I hear you saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, one of the biggest corollaries that helps a lot of people in sales get this message and understand the duty and response, because they're like, I'm just selling vacuum cleaners, or I'm just selling mm-hmm. knives, or I'm just selling, you know, marketing platforms, or, you know, whatever it is, um, they might not feel it's, it's life changing and, and game changing for people. You always want to connect to that piece that that's important. Um, but an analogy that I like to use is think about a doctor. So think about if you broke your arm and you went into the emergency room and the doctor, you know, does the x-rays, goes through their process, figures it out and says, Hey, your arm is broken. 
Um, it looks really bad. You know, if you want help, let me know. Here's my card. I'll send you a follow-up email. Maybe I'll check in with you next week. Hey, here's a brochure about it. Um, you know, let me know if you have anything. Hey, by the way, if you do this by next month, um, I have a discount. So we can do a discount if you do it by the end of the month and I can help you with this. Um, just let me know. I'll follow up with you next week, right? And then they just walk out of the room and let you sit there to leave on your own. Like that would never happen. That's a ridiculous right. example. They, unlike salespeople, have taken an oath that they will take care of people to the best of their ability, right? The Hippocratic Oath. Um, and there's a governing body about that. Um, instead, what do they do? What does a doctor do? Your arm is broken. We did the x-rays. Here's what it is. We need to put it. We need to re-break it. I need to put it in the cast. We're going to do that now. Do you have any questions? No, hold on. This is going to hurt, but then you'll feel better, I promise. And we'll see you in six weeks. And then they do it, right? They're not giving you options. They're not, you know, you have the option, but they don't let you feel like, okay, because you've come to them. They know they can help you. Their job is to help you. And so when you take that approach, no matter what you're selling, totally different, totally different game, totally different feeling for your prospects, for your customers and for yourself. I love that analogy. That is such a great analogy. I need everybody to embody that analogy. Don't just listen to it, but literally embody it. Because when you put it in that perspective, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah. And then your follow-ups are totally different because your follow-ups are about wanting them to get well, right? Yeah. Imagine if you your doctor says, you have a brain tumor and, okay, I want to think about it. Okay, sounds good, but don't think about it too long. Doctor calls you the next day. Are you ready to do this? It's mm -hmm. not because they're nagging you. It's not because they have to meet their quota on brain surgeries, right? They care about you and they want to fix you. Yeah. Um, and, and again, sales, it's not life or death. I get it. Trust mm -hmm. me, I get it. Mm -hmm. But when you have that approach because you want what's best for them, then it, everything is different. Yeah. And, and so then what makes an order taker? Well, the order taker is that the doctor example of the first one, I mentioned, okay. which is the one who usually what happens with the order taker and, and again, this is not a derogatory term. It's not, you know, meaning to put people down. It's usually just based on their current state of their sales process and their sales effectiveness is they're usually really good at building rapport. They're really good at building relationships generally. Um, they care about their customers. They have a lot of empathy, sometimes sympathy, which is kind of the, the pit that you fall in with, with people. So empathy is usually the better way to go. They're sometimes really good at asking questions. Um, they care. The challenge is they care so much that they see selling as pushing and manipulating. And so for them, the process stops because they care so much, they leave it open-ended and let the other person make the decision without helping overcome any of their fears or objections or challenges. And so they're essentially a very nice relational caring order taker, which is, here's the info. Let me know if you'd like to do it, right? I'm here for you. And their justification in their head is, I care so much about you. I would never want to push you because I hate being pushed. Mm -hmm. um, but they're usually really good at relationships. People really like them. And then they're just, their sales strategy is hope. Is that the people that, and I hear this all the time and, and you, I'm sure you do too. I hear, I don't want to bother them. Yeah. 100%. That's the, that's the order taker. Doesn't want to bother. Then, them. Yeah. They're defaulting to that mode because either, a, they don't like confrontation in their life. Mm. They don't like rejection in their life. Or they have been that customer, potential customer, that's gotten the phone calls, gotten the harassments, gotten the emails, gotten the like, oh, you know, okay. all of these things. And they don't like that feeling. Usually, again, 
it's confrontation related. They don't mm-hmm. like the thought of having to tell that pesky salesperson no, who keeps following up, say, I'm really not interested, right? They're just hoping that that person goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't like that confrontation because they're worried the other person's going to keep trying to sell and keep pushing. Yeah. And so they don't want to be that person on the flip side because fundamentally nobody likes feeling like a hypocrite. So mm-hmm. if you have that feeling as a customer, you'll be that kind of salesperson, which mm-hmm. is very limiting. It's a lot of internal reframe for you, it is. isn't it? It is. It is. And, and that's the, the interesting thing is like when I wrote the book and then when people were reading the book, it's not a lot of strategy. It's not a lot of tactics. It's not a lot of say um, this, to get this, to do this. And, and, you know, it's not a manual on sales. It's the fundamental foundational stuff that then you can apply to anything you're selling when you come at it with this, right? Whether it's your own coaching and consulting, again, you're selling vacuums, you're selling cars, you're selling enterprise software. You know, it's, it's the fundamental stuff that's really all in your head. It's a mental game. That's so critical. That's like psychology of the voice. I can teach you be louder, be faster, be slower all day long. But until you've rewritten those stories that say, I don't want to hear you. Yeah. It's not going to stick. It doesn't matter. I bet. Yeah. And that's what I hear you saying with this until you rewrite that noise that you're saying all around selling and, and dragging in the past from that experience Mm -hmm. you hated. It keeps going Mm -hmm. back to that. Well, don't we have to get rid of that? We've got to reframe that. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to keep going back to that. Oh, there was that time that, that you know, in car sales is a classic example. Mm-hmm. Yep. Why is that? Do those guys just get a bad rap or is it a selling um, style? It, it's, you know, it's one of those things that most people don't need that they, but they want, right? Nobody needs a brand new car, but they want a brand new car. And so they're going into it. You know, most people who are buying a car and most things in general, they emotionally want to buy Mm -hmm. or to make the purchase. Mm -hmm. Intellectually, they need help justifying it and getting proof that it's the right decision. Emotionally, they've already made up the mind. Um, And and so, and for salespeople, the more they can get you to pay, it directly affects their commission. So then this battle ensues. That's also not very transparent until recently. And, you know, some dealerships, they make it very transparent now. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and I remember when Saturn, you know, people were old enough um, you know, when Saturn came out mm-hmm. of the car dealership and was like, no negotiation, this is the price you either want yeah. or you don't, we don't. And, and yeah. so what also happens on the customer side is people come to expect that battle. So then as customers, they expect yeah. that they have to haggle. And so then they go into it defensive and battling mm-hmm. sales. And then that industry in general just has a lot of turnover because of the pressure and because of that game. And so there's mm-hmm. so many people and they're not good at it and they're not thinking long-term because they don't even know if they're going to be in that in that career in six months. So they're not thinking, I, if I do the right thing for you and I help you and I care about you in two years, you might buy another car from me or next week you might refer someone to me. And that's mm-hmm. important. The problem is, is when you see all your coworkers around you gone after a month, mm-hmm. are you thinking long-term like relationships or are you thinking short-term I need to get paid? Yeah. Very interesting. Okay, so I'm going to totally switch gears because you mentioned scripts. And I got to let you know that I'm notoriously hard on scripts. Okay. From the perspective of, I don't want you believing you don't have the words. From the perspective of, if you read it to me, you're not going to bring any of you to the table. Yeah. And a lot of my people are locked into scripts. So it's not that I'm anti-script. Okay. 
But I want you to talk about the value of scripting because I do believe there's a value in scripting. And then I want you to talk about, do you believe that you've got to read it word for word off the paper? How do you bring that script to life? Okay. So to to answer this before I forget, one of the biggest things, and I heard Victor Antonio, who's a longtime pro sales trainer, coach, lots of videos. I highly recommend his stuff. Mm if you like it. But he, I saw a video of his years ago when I was just battling with a team about scripts and uh, actually a sales manager found this video and played it. It was like, that's it. That answers all of this. He says, Victor Antonio says, have you ever been to a Broadway play? Have you ever watched a movie? Have you ever watched a TV show? It's all scripted. It's all scripted. You go to a Broadway play or any play and you see it five times a day, it will be the same every time. It's because it's scripted. Does it feel scripted? No, but it is scripted word for word word for word, moment to moment, absolutely scripted, right? Even Saturday Night Live, which is scripted on cue cards. You can tell when it goes sideways because everyone starts laughing and they lose control because they lost their place on the cue card or somebody's laughing. Um, But very little bit is ad-libbed in the moment. So it's all scripted. And so people who are like, I don't like scripts because it sounds like a robot. Well, that's because you're doing it like a robot. It's not the script, it's you. So that's the biggest, like just... Hands down, that just answers all of people's mm-hmm. issues, especially salespeople who don't want to be controlled and, and don't mm. try to limit it. Now, here's the thing. And this is why I'm such a big proponent of scripts and scripting, whether you're reading it or you just memorize it and you do it, is the consistency. Because here's the thing, is when you're having a conversation with somebody and you're in the sales process, there's so many things going on. One of the biggest things from a coach, trainer, you know, manager standpoint is if you're not effective and you're having 20, 30 phone calls a day as a salesperson. And every time you're saying completely different things because you're just winging it and trying to figure out what works, it's hard for me to identify what you're missing and how to get you to where you want to be. If you do the same thing and say the same thing in the conversation with another human, which will never be 100% scripted, right? It isn't a Broadway play. It's against another human who's going to throw out random questions or have random answers. And so, but if the chunks of what you say, the main parts, the monologues, as I call them, are scripted and you say them every time, if that doesn't work, we can tweak it, we can identify it. Um, If you're doing everything completely different every single time, how the heck do we know what's missing? What's wrong? What is it the script? Is it your voice? Is it your tone? Is it your pace? Are you actually not listening? So that's another part of it. Now, as far as actually scripting and reading it, what I've always found is that new reps, there's so much going on, new people in sales, scripted word for word, read it. Most people can't memorize. I can't memorize things very well. And so read the script as best you can without sounding like a robot. And then just you know go back to listening, go back to reading, go back to listening. And then eventually wean yourself off of that where you have bullet points and talking points, or you have you know, a few sentences of your monologue that you need to say. I think that's important. Um, so there's that. And then also for me, I've done enough sales where compliance is important. Disclosures, mm-hmm. disclaimers are important, whether you're helping someone with financial stuff or even software technology, bigger sales, where you want to make sure people know like, hey, when we do like the software sales, right? Once we sign up, once you pay, the next step is this. And then this is going to happen and you're going to be required to do this. We're going to do this. You must make sure you do this or this won't work, right? That needs to be scripted. And I always recommend that being read because everyone is trained. Like everybody knows this experience where you've called your credit card company or your bank and you've Mm. set something up and they're like, okay, before we get this approved, I need to read off these disclosures and I need you to say yes. 
all of a sudden it's official. All of a sudden I've got to listen because this is an official professional organization transaction and this is legit. A lot of salespeople don't like doing that because they're like, well, I just want to wing it, man. I'm like, no, Uh, that actually makes you sound professional when you have uh these disclosures. uh And when you know you read them every time, the customer who's going to forget can't come back later and say, well, Jason never told me that I had to do this or I had to do that or that this would happen. It's like, no, I did. I tell you every time. I read it on my sheet. I I have to for compliance. I made sure. Um, And and so I think that's you know my important parts on scripting. I'm in agreement. Listen, people, I'm in agreement with what he said. Where I get locked up is this, and I don't see too many wingets. I get a whole lot more <laughs> on the other end rigidity. This rigidity yeah. of I can't stray from this whatsoever, and it goes back to that they haven't embodied it. Mm-hmm. A Broadway actor memorizes it and embodies it and makes it like a conversation. You sort of, and the only thing I would say the, to 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 counter that though is. It's really safe to be a Broadway actor, meaning you have your script. I know what I'm going to say. I know oh, what right. For sure. Say. For I sure. know what I'm going to say. Right. Like, For sure. and then there's improv. So imagine yeah. standing up on stage and improv and winging it in front of people goes back to that getting kicked out of the tribe of humans, yeah. right? Being on your show. We don't have this scripted. I don't even no. know what you're going to ask me about. <laughs> We're just winging this. Yeah. I don't know if it's going well. I think it is, but. That's where most people are afraid of the winging it because the safety of the right. script. Um, right. and, and and really what it comes down to, you mentioned this word early on, which is confidence, you know, the confidence mm-hmm. in their voice. It's confidence. It's also trusting the process, trusting that you can have a conversation and trusting and knowing that you also don't have to know everything. Mm. If your intentions are right and you have a process, and you know where you want to go is one thing. If you don't know the answer, I don't know. If they, hey, what, what about this fee? I don't know but I can find out, right? Once you put that into your vocabulary, you can get off your script, uh, you know, as far as sounding like a robot. And then also side tip here, it's okay to not know things. And if you don't know things and you're not perfectly slick and you don't have the best answers or the most polished answers, I promise it's actually better in your sales career and your sales process because what your prospects are worried about, which we've talked about many times, are the slick, fast-talking, mm-hmm. perfect, charismatic sales manipulators. And if you're too slick and too perfect, you can actually trigger all of those alarm bells in their head. And so by not knowing the answers, by not being perfect, by not being smooth, um, it actually will help them feel more relaxed and feel like you're just a human who wants to help. And so the more you're like a robot or the more you're perfect in every way, that's where you got to be careful. And that, that he just said, I need you to hit it on replay and listen to it over and over and over. Every single person I work with, it is a conversation just about every day. I have to get it perfect. I, I've got to know what we're talking about. They, they're they so locked up and mm-hmm. braced. Yeah. And it is, I say it ad nauseum, it's 100% okay to confident, confidently go, wow, great question. I don't, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. No idea. Right? Mm. You heard it here. You heard it here. That is like the, ugh, you're dropping all kinds of great nuggets, <laughs> but that is such a great permission slip, you know, to, yeah. to be a human. To be a human. 
I, I learned that lesson the hard way when I did Toastmasters years ago, mm. where um, I, I realized that sales and I became a sales trainer and sales manager for the first time. I was like, this is public speaking. I mm. want to get better at this. Let me join Toastmasters. So I did mm. Toastmasters for a couple of years. First few speeches written out word for word. And again, I mentioned this earlier. Mm. I am not good at memorizing. I mm. never had that brain. I'm good at stats, but not memorizing mm. words. And so I would agonize for weeks, memorizing a speech, mm. recording it, playing it back. Get, I, I feel like I have to throw up and go to the bathroom at the same time before I get on stage and do my speech, wow. strangle that thing to death, do a word for word. My delivery wasn't great. I missed words. I'm sweating. I'm anxious. And you know what I realized after a few speeches? Nobody knew what my speech was. There was no teleprompter. They didn't know what I missed, what word I missed, what paragraph. As long as the message was good, then it was good. I let go of that with some help, started bullet pointing my speech, knowing what I wanted to talk about and letting it flow. Yeah. letting it flow. Yeah. And, and now I don't, what I hear you say in that is something that I teach. And I don't know if this, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this in sales. I get people out of the outcome, let go of the outcome in your work. Where does the outcome and controlling the outcome play into that? Because I teach my people to work from the place of you can't control the outcome exactly like what you just said. I don't know what you're going to say. I don't know what you're so, going to do. And so for me, it's a little bit different approach. It's probably okay. the same, but just a different use of language. For me, sales is like I'm in California and Los Angeles, and I want to get to New York City on a road trip, right? So we're going to go on a road trip. That's where I want to go. You and I, we're going to go there together, right? And now keeping in mind, this is once I know you're a qualified prospect. Once I know it's a good thing. You have problem X. I potentially could help you with solution X. So now it's good. We're getting in the car. We're going on a road trip. During that conversation, there's detours, there's accidents, there's, hey, let's go check out the world's ball, you know, largest ball of yarn. And mm-hmm. so there's, you know, going off the, the reservation. How you get to New York isn't as matter as important as getting there. Yeah. And then, you know, dealing with everything that goes on. We've all done that. We've all gone on road trips, traveled somewhere, you've flown somewhere, there's detours, there's missed flights. You got to, you know, you play it by ear if you still yeah. want to make it to your destination. And so for me, that's the way sales is, which is I know where I want to go with you, yeah. which is a new customer with this expectation, solving this kind of a problem. I know the basic things. I know the, the points along the map that I want to hit because those are important, which is your process, which is asking questions, which is talking about your product, which is, you know, contract, all that kind of stuff. And then whatever happens in there, I'm totally good. I used to on yeah. trips be like, no. We're starting here. We don't stop. We stop every three hours. I don't care. Like it's about the destination, not the journey. Mm -hmm. So you want to have the destination and be open with the journey and then just adapt. Yeah. Great analogy. Great analogy. Okay. So I've got to circle back. You said amazing at sales. What makes somebody amazing at sales? Everything we've talked about today. (laughs) I would say everything we've talked about, but it's, it's really about seeing that sales, like you said, sales is service. Sales is your duty and responsibility when you're selling something to help the right people buy. Um, and that it's it's something you're doing for and with other people. And when you have that approach, then it's totally different. When you understand the value that you bring to your potential customer, no matter what it is that you're selling and how it can improve them or help them in some way or help them out of pain, avoid pain. Um, and when you do that, then you're amazing because your conversations are totally different. 
And when you trust in abundance, which means you're also going to tell the wrong people no, which I have a chapter in the book about that, which is a weird thing to have in a sales book about the power of telling people no. If you're not a good fit, you have problem X, but I have solution Y, I'm not going to try to strangle you into buying this, right? It's like that problem with car dealerships. Like, I really want a two-door car. Well, we don't have any two-door cars, so I'm going to sell you a minivan instead. You might manipulate me into it. As soon as I drive up a lot tomorrow morning, I'm going to go, why did I do that? I wanted a two-door car. This was dumb. And so the power of being like, I can't help you. It's not something I do. Here's what I recommend instead, which will blow your people, your their minds away, their prospects, which maybe that's what we talk about in the second show. Uh, when, when, when we do this again. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, that's that's the thing. It's trust and abundance. Seven billion people on the planet. How many do you need to have as customers? You don't need to strangle and push them and control everybody into being your customers, just the right people who you can really help. That is another piece of everything. Uh, that's a whole episode right there. That's a whole episode right there. Because what I hear in that, and I see this in the entrepreneurial space, mm-hmm. like top, top issue is working from this place of lack. And I'll tell you, I was just having a conversation about this the other day, maybe with my sister, I don't remember, but it was like being an actor. And when you're an actor, when the work is there, man, you got to do it. And, yeah. and I think entrepreneurs feel that way. And, and we were kind of talking about scheduling and things before we started today, that entrepreneur that feels like, well, gosh, I've got to take it. I mean, it's here. I've, sure. I've got to do it. I mean, is that, that plays into that, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a, especially if you're in sales, it's that gambler's dilemma, which is the next mm-hmm. one could be the winning hand, right? Maybe mm-hmm. the next call is the one I got to push this one. You also don't know when the next one is coming. If you look at that actor analogy, which I love, I hadn't thought about that before, but you know, early in, in many actors' careers that you hear about, they have to take everything, anything. Yeah. They're yeah. so desperate. They yeah. want their shot. And then most of them progress to a certain point where now they're very selective. Now they're being asked to do everything. And they're like, nope, that's not the kind of character I want to play. I mean, I heard Matthew McConaughey uh, he's been doing a lot of podcasts recently yeah. and he was on, he was a guest on one. And that's what he said. He's like, he got to the point where he was tired of doing the romantic mm-hmm. comedies. Like he didn't want to do those anymore. And he mm-hmm. basically wouldn't get a gig for years. And then he basically decided to go a different direction. Um, but he had the, you know, abundance mentality to control that. Yeah. And that's what most people lack either the entrepreneur, the solopreneur, who's trying to, you know, grow their business and, and live their dream or the salesperson who is just like, you know, if this person doesn't buy, I'm gonna, uh, you know, what am I going to do? Yeah. Do you think that, have you seen that COVID has exacerbated that, put people into a fear space that m- a little bit more than normal? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's this scarcity that's hitting everybody mm-hmm. uh, where it's just like worried about their own survival, right? Mm-hmm. Getting into a survival mm-hmm. mode is bad when you're in sales because it makes you come across with, you know, one of the terms is commission breath, um, but just come mm. across as that needy, desperate person. And that's repelling. Yeah. It doesn't work short-term. Sometimes short-term it works, but most of it never works long-term. Um, so there's that survival mode. There's also people being thrown out of their elements, right? Where they're, they're used to selling in person. Now they've got to do it virtual. And then they don't know how, and they don't actually have many sales skills. They're just using that in-person charisma over everything. uh, And now they've got to do something different. And so that's also challenging. 
So I know I'm going to have to, this, that was great. That was great. I was, I was definitely, this is just so good. So, so good. And I know that I'm going to have to have you back because I know you can, if you'd be willing to share even more wisdom with us, but I know I'm going to have to let you go. So in the meantime, people can read the book. Yep. Where can they get the book? So Amazon? they can go to often uh, Amazon. It's on Amazon, okay. it's on uh, hard copy and Kindle. And then uh, coming soon, the audible version will be available. And then, or they can go to authenticpersuasion.com and buy it directly. Oh, okay. Um, um, from me instead of through Amazon. There's also some package deals. Sometimes I have sales teams and companies who buy it for their whole team. So there's some Ooh. some bundle packages on there as well. Well, you know, I've got a company that I work for, and they I do work for, and they do book clubs, mm-hmm. and and I'm going to recommend this book to them because uh, it's just a, it's a great book. And then the podcast. Yep. So the Authentic Persuasion Show podcast, you can find that everywhere. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, yeah. SoundCloud, online. Um, yeah. So that's, and that's a five day a week podcast. Yeah. So every day, every day. Yeah. Okay. I'm doing <laughs> once a week. This guy's amazing. You're doing it every day. And then I think you told me, did you tell me you're voicing the, the book? I did my audio of my uh, selling with authentic persuasion book. So yeah, yeah. how'd it go? Yeah. Uh, it was rough. Yeah, no, it was really rough <laughs> because you know one thing is you want to do it and you want to be consistent. You know yeah. your voice fades. I do a lot of stuff, a lot of talking, a lot of recording, mm-hmm. and so by the end of the day, my voice is gone, my energy is gone, and so it was. The nice thing is I was able to do it at home because I have the equipment for it. Okay. The downside was like, okay, I'm drained. Literally, don't want to read this chapter. Yeah for the next 45 minutes over and over again to get it right. So yeah, and it's and it's a lot of books. So was, I think it came out to five, uh, about five and three quarter hours worth of finished audio book. Wow. So. I used to put books on tape in my twenties. And that is, a, that is, that is tough because yeah. I mean, you, it's not like a commercial, you know, I got to nail this 60 seconds. No, I got to nail this five hours. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's really intense. And reading it, right? Because again, yeah. we're talking about the scripting yeah. versus reading and not reading. Oh, yeah. How do I read the book on my screen while talking, while knowing what's coming up next without sounding yep. like I'm reading and having a conversation so it doesn't sound like a terrible robot read it? Um, yeah, <laughs> I really wanted to outsource it, but everyone I knew was like, your book's called Authentic Persuasion. It would be inauthentic yeah. if somebody else read your book. And I was like, shoot. Good okay, point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm glad you did. And I'm sure it was a labor of love because I know how yeah. hard that work can be, but so good. So good. Well, Jason, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate having you and all that you've shared with us. And I hope you'll come back and see us again. I definitely will. I'm super excited. We can keep talking. I know yeah. for a long time. So thanks for having me, Tracy. Yeah. And, and the website's the best place for everybody to find you if they're interested uh, in things beyond the book. Single best website is jasoncutter.com. So that's okay. a hub for all of everything, the podcast, the book, my consulting, my coaching programs. So jasoncutter.com. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you. And thank you, listeners. I appreciate you. And until I see you next time, you know what to do. Get out there and speak your truth. Just do it beautifully. Thanks for listening to Captivate the Room with Tracy Goodwin. You can reach out to her at CaptivateTheRoom.com and be sure to grab The Voice Formula, a free video series that will help you start making a bigger impact with your voice today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. 